we're going to refer to a number of different statements in Scripture. A lot of them are going to rest in Mark 11, Hebrews 11, and James 2. So if you really want to be in the place that we're referring to, that's, that's where we are. But we're going to kind of grab from a number of different places. And have you ever you walked into your home or your house or work or whatever, got into your car, and you noticed something wasn't right? Have you ever had that before? You know, you walked into a, maybe a social encounter or whatever, and you just knew something wasn't right. It wasn't the end of the world, but something wasn't right. And, and so you started to go after that thing and try to fix whatever it is. And as you did that, you began to discover that there was a bigger problem than you thought that there was to begin with. And then as, as you proceed, maybe it's your day, you know, you proceed through, you tackled one issue, you proceed throughout your day, and then you come across another problem, right? Uh, and those first two problems, maybe they didn't throw you off that much, but once you start encountering the third problem, and the fourth, have you ever had days like that, and the fourth problem, and then the fifth thing goes wrong, and I just got this fixed, and I don't have enough money to get that fixed also, and this, things just start to just unravel, uh, uh, and those things exist because we have those kind of phrases or statements, things are unraveling or falling apart, or we know that whole idea of the sky is falling, you know. Have you ever had days like that? Everything's just falling completely apart. Everything's uh, being completely uh, unfraid or whatever. It's just not right. And we had faith, you know, we started out the day. Like, have you ever started out the day, you're praying, you're believing God, and you're feeling good, you got faith, and I'm going to tackle the world, and before you know it, you don't have any more faith anymore. You know, this, this... Ain't going to happen. Just know, and you start to get to that place where you just expect it now. I just know that my car is going to break down. It just is. You know, I just know my house is going to fall. I just know they're going to be mad at me. It just is. I just know I'm going to go to the doctor. I'm going to find out everything's horrible. That's just my life. You know, I'm going to go check my bank account out. I go, no, there's nothing in there. It's just because that's the way my life is. Some of you have talked that way, haven't you? You know, my life's just a mess. It's just horrible. It's just miserable. And that's just the way my life is. And that's the way it's going to always be. Be. Now that's a sad place to be in, isn't it? I sometimes think that we do that so that we can cope with the reality that there are some problems in this life. Where it's almost like I heard someone once suggest that we avoid pain more than we pursue pleasure. You know, we might not panic. Uh, frantically go out there trying to make sure pleasure happens. But when pain comes in, we do everything we can to try to prevent pain from happening and keep it to a minimum. So if we've ever had faith, believed, hoped for something, and then we had the letdown, you know, it didn't happen, it didn't happen the way we expected, or it didn't happen in the time frame we uh, had, and, and, and letdown and disappointment is painful, isn't it? It hurts when the, the bottom drops out from under you. And so we would rather not experience that. And so, and so what we do is, I'm just going to believe that, that everything's going to go wrong, nothing's good going to happen, because I'd rather be surprised and like, wow, that turned out great, that's awesome, uh, but expect it, and if it doesn't, then it's, it's okay, rather than believing and hoping for and believing that, and then it doesn't happen. But here's the problem, is our faith impacts the things that happen in our lives. And so the more that we just expect everything to go wrong, the more things tend to go wrong. And when we encounter that, because I think there's different things that happen, because, you know, there's like word faith teachers out there that will tell you that if you just believe, then, then 
you're going to, before you know it, you're going to be driving your Rolls Royce or your Lamborghini or, and you're going to be flying in your private jet and wearing your nice clothes that you uh, had custom made and all that stuff. And then you won't feel any pain ever again in your life. Uh, and we know that's not true, right? But we also know that God did tell us, whatever you ask for in my name, believing you will receive, that there is something there. But what happens when it's not? You know, when I, when I come across a situation that I believe for a certain set of outcomes and they didn't happen, now what do I do with that? And we end up in a fork in a road where either it's me, and like we talked about this last week, we don't like to say that, right? We don't like to suggest that it's me that's causing the problem. But that is an option. That is possible that there's something wrong with my faith, my relationship with the Lord as to why it's turning out like this. Uh, sometimes Your faith also includes uh, sin issues and, and immaturity issues in your life, where if your faith is weak in that regard, then it's why it's turning out this way. But that's not always the case. Sometimes you end up in a bad space that, that has nothing to do with the kind of faith that you have. Then now what? Now what do you do in that situation? Well, I believe you're at another fork in the road. And this takes discernment to try to discern what it is that's happening. What does God want me to do with this? And the other fork of the road is that either God still wants me to expect that the circumstances I've been praying for are going to happen, but I have to walk through this rough path first to get to that, and I still need to have faith. Or the other re, uh, option is that God wants me to suffer through this. He wants me to go through this, but He still wants me to have faith in believing and trusting that he's going to be with me along the way and help carry me through that. But no matter which fork in the road we're at, the answer is never to have no faith. We are to always have faith, this trust that God is going to do whatever it is that he is going to do. And we think that we have faith because we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And because we believe that he died and rose from the dead. And that is true. You do have faith. But Faith is broader than that. Faith includes that, and perhaps those are the most essential, but faith is broader than that. When you go to pray for something from the Lord, do you have faith that it's going to happen? That's faith. That's different than salvation faith, but that's faith. When you go to do something that you know the Lord expected you to do, do you have faith that what He said was going to happen is going to happen? Do you believe that? And so as we start to evaluate our faith, how strong is our faith? And you might say, well, the stuff you talked about last week, uh, sometimes I, I say things and I think they probably already knew all that. Okay, do you guys always know everything that I tell you? Okay, good. Okay, I'm having some success here. But sometimes I think they already knew that. Maybe you did, you know, because I'm preaching the Bible up here, so hopefully some of you knew some of it already. Uh, but... Some of you might have thought, I already knew all that. I've been doing that for 30 years. It ain't working. Okay? Some of you, some of you who are really patient, didn't know all that stuff, and you said, I tried it for a week. didn't work. It isn't, isn't working. I tried to correct my thinking. I, I tried to make sure that the certain disciplines were in my life, and I was, I was doing the stuff that I was supposed to be doing. I tried to fight against doubt and corruption. I tried to understand uh, what's kind of happening, playing out in faith, and yet it's still didn't happen for me. My faith did not rise up and begin to make something happen. And 
when I think about that, I, I think about the relationship between your tablet. Anybody have tablets? Or an iPad or, or whatever? Laptops? Uh, or, or a cell phone? You, most of you have a cell phone. And, and those devices do some awesome things. I mean, I... Anybody remember the 90s or the 80s? I know some of you remember the 50s, or <laughs> not naming any names, uh, but you remember those time periods. Isn't it amazing that you can have this, this laptop that just, without being connected to anything, can just retrieve information, can send stuff off, can make your printer print something, and it's not connected at all, and it just does amazing things. Unless... There's something missing. We need some kind of internet service provided to it, whether it's through Wi-Fi or through data. We need something to empower that thing to work. Now, we know it can do some things without that, but the, the stuff we really wanted to do, it needs the data or the Wi-Fi. My kids, when they were younger, didn't really get that concept because they had these little cheaper kid-tablet-type ty- things, and they'd be watching some video when we're at the house because there's Wi-Fi connected to it. And then it's time to go somewhere. Can I take this with me? Yes, you can, but it's going to stop working once we get so far from the house. Whatever. They didn't believe that. They just thought, no, it's just going to keep, I'm just going to keep watching the video. So sure enough, as we move far enough away where we're outside the, the Wi-Fi range, why my, what's wrong with my laptop or my, my tablet? Why isn't this working? Because they didn't understand that as, as great as this device is, it can't do much if it doesn't have Wi-Fi. If it doesn't have, have you ever been on a road trip and you're trying to use your, you're not the one driving, I hope, uh, and you're trying to use your phone to do different things and you reach a, an area where it's kind of a dead zone. You've got one bar or no bars or it says no service at the top and you're like, ah, I really wanted to be doing it. And it's, it, it's, it's again, it could do a lot of great things, but if I don't have that connection, nothing. Uh, or at least not what I want it to do. It, it doesn't have the same kind of power, even though it's all in there and all the capacities are there. It's just not working right now. James says, faith without works is dead. It just doesn't work. And so we can be believing, but if we're not acting on our faith, if we're not doing something with our faith, it's like trying to make that phone do the stuff we want it to do without having service. Our faith, our believing in certain things, has great power and can do a lot of things. And it's very resourceful, this faith that God has given us. But if we're not acting upon it, if we're not doing anything with it, faith without works is dead. Now, I don't know about you, but I would much rather, as much as we would we're trying to protect ourselves to live through life expecting nothing good to happen. Which is kind of sad when you think about it. Because really, all the bad things we anticipate to happen, there's a lot. Did, you, did somebody say do happen? Did I hear that? <laughs> all those things we expect to happen, often they don't happen. Especially the big ones that we think are going to happen, like my house is going to collapse or you know, I'm going to die tomorrow. You know, Most of the time that doesn't. I know that happens Sometimes, but most of it. So we live our lives in misery, never hoping for anything so that we're not miserable. Doesn't that sound foolish? We live our lives in misery, never hoping for anything, believing for anything so that we won't be miserable. That doesn't make any sense to me. 
Instead, why not live our lives completely hopeful that all the right things are going to happen, and on the rare occasion that things fall apart, that's okay, we can get through that. Wouldn't you rather be on the hopeful end than in misery all the time? We would. How do we get there? How do we live in a space where I just believe? I'm optimistic. I believe for the best things. Well, we have to start with, last week, our mind and heart. We have to deal with those issues, and if you miss that, you know where to find it. But then next, in order to see that come alive, we have to start doing something. I love watching people come. I don't love it, uh, actually, but uh, when people will sometimes come to me asking me for, for money advice. And what I usually discover is what they want me to do is to cause some miracle happen. They don't want to do budgeting. They don't want to do pick up part-time job. They don't want to stop buying, cancel this. They don't want to do that stuff because we just want it to just happen for us. But I, want, I got news for you. Most of the good things in your life that happen, while it involves faith, doesn't happen until you start working. That's why faith without works is dead. It's useless. It does nothing for us. And so the first thing that we need to do to be able to take action is we need to embrace reality. I need to look at myself in the mirror and look at the way I'm living my life and ask myself, do my actions demonstrate that I believe this stuff? You say you believe that God answers prayer. Are you still praying for the stuff that you want him to do? Because faith without works is dead. You say that you believe that God wants to change your family. Are you doing stuff to attempt to, by his help, change your family? You say you want to be healthier. Are you still downing that ice cream and never moving your body? We say we want to be healthy and we believe that God can give us good health, but are we doing anything that demonstrates that we believe that God is going to heal us? We say we believe that God will take care of all of our needs and we're praying for that. But are we doing anything with our resources that demonstrate we believe he's going to take care of it? If that's not where we are, then we have to embrace the reality that faith without works is dead and I don't have a lot of it. I might feel like I do, but what good does the feelings do? I'm still, I've tried it. I go to the bank, check with the teller and say, I feel like a million dollars is in there just never works for some reason. Feelings don't make anything happen. Have to do something. And so I have to admit that, and not that, not that I'm not saved, although I think that the longer you go down this road, the longer that might demonstrate that you're not in a right relationship with the Lord. But nonetheless, there is at least something wrong with my faith. If I'm not doing the stuff, something is wrong, and I have to accept that that's the reality. Not that I want to stay there, but I have to accept that faith without works is dead. I don't have the works, so something is wrong with my faith. Unless the Bible's not true, that's the reality, and I have to start, stop trying to lie to myself and say I have this great, strong, maturing faith if I don't have the works. Faith without works is dead. Now that works itself out in the opposite direction, too. We're on this direction. If I believe, then I will start doing the works. Also, if I don't do the works, I actually start killing and eliminating my faith. And you might think, well, I don't think that's what James was saying. You might be right. That might not be what James is saying, but that is what Jesus said. 
Jesus, when he said the parable of talents in Matthew 25, he gave one, he invested in the one person, one object, and you know what that person did? He didn't do anything with it. He didn't work with that talent. And you know what happened? God took it from him. Removed it from it. It was gone. In fact, you think of Mark 11 and the, par- the, uh, the fig tree experience. Remember the fig tree that Jesus came across and it didn't produce fruit and he cursed it and it withered up and died? You know what's interesting? Is that tree wasn't withered up and die- dead when Jesus approached it. It wasn't producing fruit, but the tree was alive. But the tree wasn't doing the works. And when Jesus came and, and rebuked the tree for not doing the works, then the tree shriveled up and died. So when we don't do this stuff, then at some point our faith just starts to shrivel up and die. And so if you are not acting it out, and then you notice your faith gets deflated and, and is small, there is a reason why James says faith without works is dead. Because there is a correlation between the two. And so I need to start doing the work. Because here's the thing. If we start doing the works, you know what happens? Occasionally, you might pray that God does something, and then guess what? Then he does it. And you go, well, wait a minute. This is real. And then what happens to your faith? You start believing he will answer prayers. And then you do it again. And then you, you try to treat people the way he tells you to treat people. And initially, maybe everything wasn't perfectly. But all of a sudden, at some point, your relationships start to change. And then you begin to believe and have faith that this stuff works. Why? Because you were doing the works. And the works was impacting your faith. Because faith without works is dead. And so if I want to ignite my faith, then I need to start doing something with it. Without the works, I'm killing my faith, and I'm killing my relationship with Jesus Christ. You want to know how? In Hebrews 11, it says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Many of us know that. We quote that. And and we tend to think that that means if I just believe, then I'm, I'm pleasing to God. But we're not reading that in the context because in that entire Hebrews 11 chapter, you know what the writer of Hebrews keeps saying? This person had faith and they did something. This person had faith and they did something. That was the formula. This person had faith and they did something. Which means when he says it is impossible to please God without faith, he's talking about the kind of faith in which you are doing something with your faith. And so if I say I believe all this stuff, but I'm not living. So if I say that I know God's going to judge me for the way that I live, and I know that I shouldn't live this way, but I live that way, then I'm telling God I don't believe he's going to judge me for that. I don't believe that that's actually the best way to live. And my, fa- my actions are showing that I don't have faith. And faith without works, that kind of faith, it's impossible to please God if you don't do something with your faith. And so with all my inactivity of choosing not to pray, not to study the Bible, not to share my faith, not to live a certain way, not to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, not to be involved in the body of Christ, not to, to fight against temptation, all the things that God might expect us to do, for me to not do those things, I'm absolutely killing my faith and I'm killing my relationship with Jesus. That's the reality that's in front of us. We can try to deny it. We can try to feel and believe a different thing. But if, my, if there are no works, my faith is dead. Faith without works 
is dead. Well, then how do I reverse that whole process that happened to me? Well, in Hebrews eleven twenty seven, it talks about Moses and why he was able to do certain things because he was seeing him who is invisible. Moses was capable, through God's help, to see the things that you can only see with the spiritual eye, that you can only see through faith. That's the kind of faith when you look at someone who on the outside looks like they have nothing to offer. On the outside, it looks like there's no hope with that person. But the eyes of faith can see deep down within that and see where the, the speck of promise is within them. The eyes of faith are when you look at your obstacles and the, the financial setup that you have or the health diagnosis that you have. And with your physical eye, you can't see a road out of that. That's the natural eye. We need to see those things. But the eye of faith, the spiritual eye, sees all the things that, that is there that is not in the natural realm. And the way we see our way out of this is to start to see those things. But I can only see them if I'm close with the Lord and believing. And Because when the eyes of faith are unleashed, then we can start to see certain things. But I also need to know the, the difference between my purpose and God's purpose. The difference between, I think in your outline I have it worded God's best, but probably would you just say best. The difference between what is best and what we think is best. Have you ever argued with God, telling Him, you know, I, don't, I think this isn't the best way, God. I think it should be done this way. Have you ever done that before? Nobody in this room, I'm the only one that's ever done that. But in reality, whatever is best is what he's after. And it's what ultimately, if we believe on him, is going to happen. And we have to get into a space where we're okay with that. And that's what leads us into the next phase of this is if we're going to have the kind of faith that we truly deep down long to have, we're going to have to allow him to take, through, take us through the faith process. Having that kind of faith doesn't, you just don't wake up one morning typically and all of a sudden you just, all your problems are resolved and you're just this amazing person. Doesn't happen usually. It's a process that, we don't like processes, do we? We like things instantly. You know, should go to my phone and get whatever I want out of it, it just comes out instantly. When I go to the restroom, as soon as I order, it should be instantly on my table. Where is it? Why is it taking so long? Okay, when I get in my car, it should be able to zip wherever I want to go. When I, Deal with a problem with somebody, they should just instantly be okay and everything's resolved. We just like things to happen now. But not everything happens right now. There are things that take a process. And we know that with, with some of the things in our lives, but for some reason we don't apply the same kind of logic with the Lord. I need to allow myself to go through this process. And part of it is where we just mentioned that I need to be able to differentiate between what is best and what is what I think or other people think is best. James had this statement that he, no, not James. Peter said, said this in 2 Peter 1.5. He mentioned salvation and he call, says, to it, says as, as it is salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That there are some things that we're praying for, hoping for, wishing for, counting on because it relates to God's promises that you know when he's going to, carry it out at the last moment. Have you ever said that when you're looking for, for something? You're like, sure enough, it was in the last place I looked. You ever had that before? 
That's so irritating, right? Uh, because sometimes what is best shouldn't happen right now. That sounds bizarre and it's difficult for us to embrace. But sometimes what is best shouldn't happen right now. And my faith isn't going to be rattled and shocked and shaken if I understand that. That I'm praying and that doesn't mean God's not going to bring it about. It's just it doesn't have to happen right now. And there's all kinds of possible reasons for that. Sometimes it's because of what's going to happen during the waiting. That out of necessity must happen for many different reasons. And those things won't happen if there isn't waiting. And the best thing is going to happen only if we wait. And so I have to be in that space where I'm just going to go through the process. I prayed. I believed. I worked. I did the stuff. Not happening yet. Still going to happen. I just don't know when because there must be. I trust God that there is something to the process. And sometimes the process involves the thing that we said earlier we've been trying to avoid the most. Pain. Sometimes, in order for us to get the best, we have to go through pain. That's hard for us to accept because we think, surely God doesn't want me to be in pain. Doesn't want me to be without. Doesn't want me to struggle. Doesn't want me to deal with hardship and heartache. Certainly, God doesn't want that. And you're right, actually. He doesn't want that. But God can see all things and realizes that what is best for you, you can't get unless you go through the fire. And so God wants to give you the best by letting you go through the pain. Everybody's going to go home this week and say, I'm so glad that I heard that message. Pain is on the horizon. Yes. So looking forward to that being fulfilled in my life. <laughs> but I can tell you with experience what has generated what amount of patience I might have <laughs> has been pain. The amount of maturity, the amount of uh, strength within me, most of it has not come through pleasure. It has come through pain. And if I understand the process of I prayed, I did the works, I did the different things, I trust God, and yet still here is pain, frustration, heartache, lacking, then I'm going to trust he's taking me through some process. And here's the interesting thing, is what is best it might be what is best for you, and that's why you're going through the pain or the valley or the desert. It might be because what is best for somebody else cannot be attained unless you suffer. And so I'm not even gaining anything out of this whole ordeal that he has me in. Somebody else is gaining from this. And for God, it must have been worth it. That must have been what was best in the grand scheme of things for that person to have whatever was attained by your suffering because he wouldn't allow it if that was otherwise. God doesn't just, sometimes I think we feel like, you, uh, I've mentioned this before, you know that game whack-a-mole? You know, where all those things pop up and you're just supposed to hit it as hard as you can with that mallet of yours? I think sometimes people feel like God's like that. Therefore, there's no reason whatsoever for me to bring suffering into your life, but bang, this is fun. Just bringing suffering and misery all over the place just for the fun of it. It's like a game to God. He's not doing that. Every, all things work together for the good of those who love him, right? He, every single sliver of discomfort even that has come into your life 
is causing the best to take place somewhere. Whether it's in my life or in someone else's life or in a larger grand scheme of things, that's why in Hebrews it says of Moses that he, he did not consider the misery and the struggle and all the different things that he went through as more valuable than the things that God had in store. That Moses was willing for the sake, not for himself, but maybe himself also, not just for some friend of his or family members, but for the sake of the whole nation of Israel, it is better for me to suffer because it will bring about what's best for the entire nation. That's the way Jesus thought in Hebrews 12.1. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The joy of what? That he knew that if he died, if he suffered, if he went through that misery, he knew that at the other end of that would mean all of humanity would have an open door to salvation. And so he chose for himself personally to suffer. Why? Because it was what was best for the whole world. And if we get that process, I'm telling you, you'll suffer differently. It might not feel great. It might not be a wonderful experience that you want to brag about. But you will suffer differently. That's why the apostles were able to rejoice when they were arrested and beaten and flogged. Because they knew, they, they had faith. They trusted God that if he's bringing me through this, there's some great purpose. There must be some best that's happening. We have to also accept just the idea that this is a process. Colossians 1 and 23 says, If indeed you continue in the faith, as if, as if you can stop, as if it doesn't just end with having putting my initial faith in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 10, 15, as your faith increases, as if we can have small faith and a large faith and anywhere in between, that it doesn't mean that it's all or nothing. You either have faith or you don't. There's sizes to this faith. Otherwise, how can it increase? Paul says in Philippians 1.25, your progress and joy in the faith. He's not saying your progress and your joy in the faith in the sense that um, faith is only related to joy. It's related to progress too. Your joy in the faith and your progress in the faith. That is that we can start out small. We can start out fractured. We can start out with just the bare minimums. And that doesn't mean I can't have big faith along the way. Because some of us, we're thinking, you know, I... I'm just really insecure. I'm just really anxious. I just, uh, I'm affected. I get beat up and, and I just flounder through different things. So uh, this faith thing must not be for me. Me having small faith doesn't mean this faith thing isn't for me because faith can be increased. Faith can progress. Faith can grow. But how does it do that? Faith without works is dead. The progress happens when I do the works, when I act out this faith. So don't allow insecurity to keep you from doing, doing the stuff. But here's, here's the thing, is sometimes we, we get kind of pigeonholed, restricted into this area of, you know, the, the, the answer is prayer. And that is true in part. That, that part of the answer is found in our prayer life. We're supposed to pray and ask God to do something and see him bring about the answers. But here's the problem. In James 2, where he talks about faith without works is dead, he describes a scenario in verses 15 and 16 where he says, if someone comes to your house and they have need and you have the capacity to meet that need and you just say to them, go, be warm, be filled, and send them on their way without doing anything about their need, that kind of faith is useless. And that was a form of prayer. 
That was that individual is seeing there's something that needs to be done. I'm just going to pray that it happens. And sometimes we don't have the resources, and that's all we can do. And faith does do something. But the Bible insists that you and I go beyond prayer. That we do pray and we do seek Him, but we do more than pray. We pray for the solution, and then we start doing the stuff. Because faith without works is dead. So if I'm in a financial mess, then what do I do? I pray and I ask God to resolve my financial mess. And then what do I do? I start working. I start budgeting. I start getting a job. I start taking care of things. And then I watch God do stuff because of my faith in Him. If my relationship is a mess, if my family is a mess, I pray and I ask God because I need to do that for Him to come in and, and fix this thing. But I don't just pray and ask God and then just don't do anything about it. I start to have the conversations that relate and do the right thing. I think some of us think that if I could just be a lousy, miserable mess, then God, if I pray, He's just going to make people love me even though I'm a lousy, miserable mess. I mean, I know God does miracles in everything. This is not how He works. We pray and trust God, and then we do because we trust God. We have to go beyond, not an exclusion to prayer, but we have to go beyond prayer. Any of you own a car? Anybody ever looked at the engine in your car? Some of you guys who have big trucks, you're kind of proud of the engine that's in that car. That thing roars. That's, that's the cool thing about trucks. Your cars, they just kind of like, eh, they just kind of hum along. Trucks, they're like, Rrr. if you ever rode some of those motorcycles, I mean, those, those things, when they show up on the scene, they let you know there's an engine here, buddy, and it's big, all right? They let you know that because of the sound, okay? But as powerful as that engine is, and it's big, there's a small device that if that small device isn't there, that engine can't perform. And you know what that small device is? Some of you have had it not work on you before. When you turn the key, and the ignition's not working, and that powerful engine does nothing because the small device isn't working. Because there's a relationship between the two. There's a trigger that happens. And it's the same with faith and works, where sometimes I, have you ever just felt frozen? Like, you know what the problem is, and you know what the solution is, you just can't get yourself to do it. Have you ever been there before? Like, you just feel frozen, like, like I see it, the solution's right there, I just can't walk over there and take it. You know what the solution to that is? It's not works, because you can't get over there. The solution is, I need to start dealing with this with the Lord and walking this through so that I can begin to have faith and believe that I can do it. And all of a sudden, it's like that ignition goes off. Where if I start to truly have faith come alive, all of a sudden I start walking over there and taking it because the faith released me to do that. They relate to one another. Or maybe you're in a situation where have you ever just been doing, going through the motions? You know that phrase that we use, going through the motions, I'm doing this stuff, just not feeling it. You know, I just don't feel like the power is there. And so then we give up on doing the stuff because it must not work because it's not working. So I stop doing the works. And you know what the answer to that is? Start doing the works again. Start doing the stuff. So what happens is where I wasn't believing, didn't have faith initially, as I began to act, as I was describing before, we begin to see God work and start to do things because we're trusting in Him with our actions. Even And this is... This is where I, I saw this. This was peculiar. In Hebrews 11, I noticed that it said that Sarah had faith to believe God for the child. And you know what's puzzling about that statement? 
When God showed up and announced to Abram that they were going to have this child, what did she do? She laughed. That's not possible. That's not going to happen. And then when God confronted her, she said, I didn't laugh. But she didn't believe it was going to happen. Yet then hundreds of years, thousands of years later, when God inspired the writer of Hebrews to write this down, he wrote down that Sarah had faith. How can that be? It wasn't because she had the kind of faith that in her heart she believed it to be. It was because she received, she allowed to happen in her works and her actions, whatever it was that God wanted to do there. She received Abram. She conceived. She carried the child. She delivered the child. She did all the works. And what does the writer of Hebrews say? She had faith. Because if we start actually doing the stuff that we say we believe in, when we're feeling weak in our faith, all of a sudden we might actually start believing it because we might see it's true. But it takes doing the works to ignite that powerful engine. Don't you want that powerful engine? Don't you want to just walk into some of the most chaotic experiences that could happen in your life? If you don't know where those can happen, just find someone who has children in their house. You can find them. And not get rattled, but just walk in with this powerful, roaring faith of, I, I have the, the largest amount of security in the Lord, and I'm not going to get rattled, and I can handle this well. That kind of faith? Then you need to work out, you work out the ignition on this end, or work out the ignition on this end. Because faith, without works, is dead. Where's my data? Where's my Wi-Fi signal? There's a reason why I'm struggling in my faith, because I'm not doing something about it. But we in life, we have a lot of excuses, you know. Have you ever come across people that they did something they shouldn't have, or they're in a certain situation, they just... Their response always is, it's because of this. And they just start listing out a bunch of excuses. Maybe some of you are like that, you know, just always giving excuses, whether it's to other people or it's to the Lord or just to yourself, you know. We give excuses. And you know what excuses do? Nothing good for your faith. If you just keep excusing yourself, you will never get somewhere. So we have to stop doing that. And some of the excuses I saw uh, being obliterated um, mostly in Hebrews 11, but some in Mark 11, Some of us say, well, I'm just not able to do this. And we actually talked about that earlier, maybe a couple weeks ago. Remember, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so we face a situation. Let's just take the earthly picture, my financial situation. It's a mess or this relationship conflict. I can't do this. I can't resolve this. And we start telling ourselves that. And some of you you know you came into this room this morning saying, I can't do this. And you know what's interesting about that fig tree that Jesus expected fruit from? I don't know if you notice this. In Mark 11, verse 13, it says that it, it was out of season for that tree. That tree actually wasn't naturally supposed to be producing fruit at that time. It wasn't ready. It wasn't capable. But you know what Jesus did? He showed up on the scene expecting a tree that wasn't capable in that moment naturally to do it, expected the tree to do it. And so you and I might naturally have no resources whatsoever to do this thing, but Jesus still expects it of us. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens. Now, there's a limit to that. My daughter, she could right now, she was standing in front of her, jump up and land in a splits position. I'm not going to do that. 
It's not a lack of faith. It's just I know uh, I shouldn't do that. <laughs> and it was the same with the tree. The tree, actually, there was a reason why. It wasn't just for no reason. Uh, Jesus was hungry, and he came along and needed food, and so he's expecting something. Also, he goes in afterwards. You know what's interesting? He confronts the tree. Then he goes into the, right after that, this is how Mark lays it out, right after that, he goes into the temple and he confronts the, uh, the, the money changers and turns over the table and demonstrates how they don't have it right. And then you know what happens? They leave that scene and immediately they land right at the tree again. And that's where the disciples noticed it shriveled up and died. Why? Because there was a purpose that needed to be done. So it's not that just you and I can just, uh, whatever we want to do, we're capable of doing. But it's if there's a purpose, if there's a God calling, if this is something I'm obligated to do, something I'm called to do, then it doesn't matter if I don't have enough money. It doesn't matter if I don't have enough energy. It doesn't matter if I don't have intelligence or wisdom or if I don't look the part. It doesn't matter. If God is calling me to do it, I can do it. And so stop telling you you can't do it. Stop telling yourself you can't resolve your financial relationship issues. You can't grow and mature in your faith. You can't learn how to witness. You can't learn how to pray effectively. Stop telling yourself that you can't do it. Because if you keep telling yourself that, you will never do it. Because it takes faith to get there. And I must believe it. And then I must start doing it. The second item is that whatever this thing is, it's not necessary to do. In Hebrews eleven seven, Noah was commended for his faith because it says that while there was no storm, he built the ark. Noah's building this huge ark, and there's no threat at all around anywhere. Not, there's not even rain. Okay? And yes, he was building it for, for a long period of time. And there's no reason, on, the, on paper, there's no reason to do this. And some of us, we think... Uh, why, do I, why do I need to get involved in ministry? Why do I need to share my faith? Why, why do I need to study the Bible so much? Why do I, because I can't see the danger in not doing it. And faith, trust God that if he says to do it, even though I can't see any reason why, faith just does it. But it doesn't just believe, it does it. I have to stop telling myself that the things that God is telling me to do aren't necessary. I also, when the writer of Hebrews talks about the people in Jericho, I mean, I want you to imagine this for a moment. They, they were supposed to circle, and they did it. They circled the city for, what, seven days? And the battle plan, I mean, could you imagine, uh, you know, the balloons come over from China, which they were just trying to test weather. They weren't trying to spy on us or anything. The balloons come over to China, and maybe there's some military conflict. Could you imagine if in one of those military conference rooms they said, you know what we should do? Let's get this horse and just ride around the border of China seven times, and I bet it'll solve all the problems. We'd, they'd be laughed out of the room. But here is God telling the people of Israel, you know what you should do? Just walk. Just walk around the city and play some music, and it'll all just happen. That doesn't make any sense. What do you mean, do that? And there, how many things have God, has God asked you to do and you thought, this doesn't make any sense? Why should I do it? doesn't make sense. I can't see how good is going to come out of that. But if I have faith, if I trust the Lord, I'm just going to do it anyway. But I'm not going to just feel something. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go ahead and walk around that city. 
I'm going to go ahead and play that instrument. I'm going to do it because faith without works is dead. And if I start doing, I wonder if we started doing all the things that God, we complain, where are all the miracles? Where is the outpouring of the Spirit? I wonder if we started doing all the stuff, if we might start seeing a little more of that. Instead of just giving ourselves the excuses as to why I don't need to do it. Or have you ever... Anybody like me, I just, I just like to know what to expect before I walk into a situation. Anybody like that? Have you ever had someone say, I, just, I really need to talk to you? Well, is something wrong? Yes, something's wrong. I really need to talk to you next week. Have you ever, have you ever had that before? And the whole time you're like, can you just give me something? You know, just kind of tell me what it's about. You know, maybe just, if you're not comfortable, just mail me a letter and describe it so I can just be ready because I want to know what to expect. Uh, we, we like that, right? We, we just want even if it's bad. We feel better if we know what to expect, at least, rather than not knowing anything. It's very difficult to just walk into a situation not knowing anything. But you know what God called Abram to do? He called him to leave his homeland and just start following him without, uh, without even giving him, like, the, this is where you're going to land. This is what you're going to encounter all the way. He just said, just start walking out of here. He didn't know what to expect. And the writer of Hebrews said, Abram had faith. Because he did it, even though he didn't know what to expect. I might confront this person, or I might try to reconcile, and this person might lose their mind. I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe it'll end the friendship. But if God's calling me to do it, I need to try to do it the way I should and just see what happens. We don't have to always know the outcome before we do it. That's why faith is dying, because we won't do it until God takes care of all the other things that we feel like he needs to take care of. Or sometimes we don't like to be uncomfortable. I'm amazed, not that I know any women like this, but I'm amazed as tough as women are. And some of you have bore numerous children. Tough, tough. I mean, I could not. Guys, could you bear a child? I, I couldn't. I'm so glad I'm a man. I couldn't imagine. Women are tough. But I'm just amazed at how if the the cooling or the heating in that car is just a slight fraction of a degree off the optimal temperature. How much ladies just go nuts about the difference in the temperature. Because I can't handle that comfort zone. I can't look at my wife right now at all while I'm sharing this. <laughs> it amazes me. But you know what? That's true of all of us. We can't stand being uncomfortable. You know, why did I not share my faith with that person? Because I wasn't comfortable with it. Why didn't I attempt to bring reconciliation? Why didn't I get involved in such and such ministry? Because I wasn't comfortable with it. Why did I choose to not come to church? Why did I choose to sit in the back of the sanctuary instead of in the front of the sanctuary? And all of you in the back said, amen. Uh, no takers on that one. I'm teasing, by the way. It's okay to be in the back, too, sometimes. But why do I make those choices? Because I don't like being uncomfortable. And certainly God never wants us to be uncomfortable, right? He always wants to make us feel like we're just getting a nice, cozy, warm hug all the time. Never any discomfort. Well, then why is it that the writer of Hebrews commended Abram and the Israelites because in verse 9, because he lived as in a foreign land living in tents, lacked the comfort. Or the entire people of Israel in verse 13 lived as strangers and exiles. They live in a place where they weren't the right people. They weren't in the right place. They weren't expected to be there, and they weren't, uh, they weren't comfortable. But faith 
is willing to be uncomfortable, willing to do the things that make me uncomfortable. And I might say, well, I don't really want to do that. I just want to believe. You know, I just want to have big faith. But faith without works is dead. If I'm not doing the uncomfortable things that God has called me to do, my faith, I'm killing my faith. Or might, you might say, well, it's just too risky to do that. And not that God wants us to do dangerous things for no reason. But it says of Moses in Hebrews eleven twenty seven, by faith he, Moses, left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king. He wasn't concerned with what could come his way if Pharaoh got angered. And then you add to it verses 35 to 38. I challenge you if anybody would ever want to pray that these things come your way. Ready for this? Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in sheep's, uh, skins of sheep and goats destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. How many of you want that to be the outcome of your faith? But God calls us, if it's what he wants to happen, to be at risk at times. And at risk meaning that I might lose my health, lose my resources, lose my very life, in order for this best thing to happen in my life or the life of somebody else, that's faith. And if when God calls me to step out and face my fear, and I don't do it, and then I begin to wonder why I'm struggling in my faith, it's because faith without works is dead. If I'm not doing the works, I'm killing it. I'm killing my faith. Lastly, you might say, but it would take a miracle. Pastor Danny it would take a miracle to change my relationship, my marriage, my children, my parents. It would take a miracle to change that. It would take a miracle for me to be better physically or uh, emotionally to me to get over this thing I've been dealing with for 40 years. It would take a miracle for this to happen. Well, when God called Abraham to sacrifice the son, the promised son that finally came to kill him, end his life, he did it. Why? Because it says in Hebrews that he just assumed if God wanted me to kill him, God would raise him back to life. Because he knew if it took a miracle, God was going to do it. But if I don't follow through and do the thing that would take a miracle, I will never see that miracle. Again, we're wondering where all the miracles are. I will never see that miracle if I don't step out of faith and do. Not just pray, though I should do that, but do. Do the things that God has called me to do and then watch the amazing things begin to take place, which might be that you were able to walk through suffering. You know, it's wonderful where the outcome might be glorious, amazing, miraculous things. And sometimes that is. Sometimes it might be that I was stable and strong and God was with me even though I walked through the fire. Do you want to have faith? Because if we're not acting... We're not getting it. We're killing our faith and our relationship with the Lord. Will you stand with me? Worship team, will you come and prepare to lead us? How is your phone doing? How is your tablet or your iPad or your laptop? Is it hooked up? Does it have Wi-Fi? Does it have data available to it?
Or is it weak and not functioning? Same is true with our faith. Faith without works, it's dead. And so as they begin the play, I want you to think about a couple of comments that seems perplexing to me. The writer of Hebrews 11, verse 40 says, Apart from us. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. Apart from who? Apart from the people that are writing this. Apart from the people that the writer of Hebrews is writing to. Apart from human beings. We know with God all things are possible. But the writer of Hebrews says, apart from us, they should not be made perfect. That there are things that ultimately it comes from God. But there are things that are never going to happen if a person doesn't step out in faith and do something. And how many miracles, how many changes, how many better contexts of living is possibly waiting right around the corner for us to do something about it. To stop waiting and just praying and just hoping and wishing it will come along at some point, though we need to pray. But at some point to start saying, you know what, I'm going to do something about this. And that's what was needed. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 15, our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may greatly enlarge. That if you begin to act out your faith, something amazing is going to happen. Should we wait on the Lord? Absolutely. Absolutely. But sometimes the Lord's waiting on us to do something with our faith. Faith without works is dead. So right now in this moment, you stand in this room and Maybe for some of you, this doesn't apply to you and you're in a good space with your faith. But maybe some of you, your faith is weak and shaken and you're struggling. Again, you believe that Jesus is who he said he was, did who he said what he said he did. But believing he's going to answer that prayer, believe he's going to fix that marriage, that family, that home, take care of your house, your job, your finances, your health. That's quite another thing. And if you're wrestling with that or you need to, you're impatient with God, you need to deal with things with Him, then begin to come right now and seek Him to let Him. This is the ignition. Do something and begin to come forward. But some of you right now, you are running through all the excuses of why you don't want to come forward and receive what the Lord has for you. Because you say, I am not capable of coming out of my seat and walking down to that altar in front of everybody, I'm not capable of doing that. Then your faith is dead. If God is calling you to come forward and deal with your faith issues, then you will get out of those seats and you will come even if you don't feel able. Even if you don't feel it's necessary. God can work in my life back here at this chair. I don't need to come forward to an altar to have that happen. It's not necessary. And you're given all the excuses, but what if I acted out my faith and I began to get out of my seat and walk down to the altar in front of everybody and gave it to the Lord? Faith without works is dead. What I don't understand or I don't know what to expect when I get down there. I don't know what to do when I get down there. God doesn't call us to figure out all the answers. He calls us to when he says to come and take a step of faith, I do it and walk out with a confident assurance that he is going to build my faith. It's not comfortable for me to come down there in front of everybody. It's too risky. What if people think ill of me? What if they think, boy, I thought they had faith, but I don't know now because they came down to the altar. I'm at risk if I come. Don't allow that to keep you from the way that God wants to build you up. Faith without works is dead, so come. Take the risk. Come. It might take a miracle for whatever thing you're bringing to God 
for it to take place, but come because faith without works is dead. You might not feel it in your heart. You might not feel the assurance, but start doing the work. The Holy Spirit is here, and he wants to build your faith. But he waits for us to do something, to begin to allow the ignition of faith to, to surge throughout our spirits. And so, Lord, begin to do that work among us. Build our faith, Lord. Build our faith as we seek you. Yes, Lord, you are all-powerful even, even if I'm weak, even if my circumstances are bad, even if, even if it's been a long time. You are all-powerful, and I can trust you with any and all the circumstances I found, find myself in. I can trust you. Help us to know that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I know some of you, that was quite, quite the ordeal to come down to this altar. There are various reasons why it's difficult for you, physically, emotionally, socially. But God will honor you taking that step. But Paul wants us, as he writes to us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he instructs us, we know it's what the Holy Spirit wants. He wants us to land in the space of our progress and joy in the faith. And so that faith, as wonderful as that moment might have been for you, tomorrow or even today, there's going to be the next step and the next step and the next step. You see, Abram, who became Abraham, the reason why he had faith wasn't because of just the first step. It was all the steps. It was because he kept following the Lord's direction, no matter how confusing, no matter how empty, no matter how painful, no matter how glorious. He kept following him. And if the scripture is true, then I know with all my heart that if you begin to act on your faith, the faith that you wanted to have will begin to resurface again. And you will see glorious things might not be exactly the way you imagine, but you will see glorious things begin to take place if you act on, live out your faith. Do you believe that? Well, if you believe it, then I'm going to ask you to sing like you believe it. And what I'm going to ask the worship team, if you can uh, lead us in, there's joy in the house of the Lord. Some of you, physically, emotionally, you have no reason to declare there's joy in the house of the Lord. But faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So I'm going to rejoice in the presence of the Lord in my pain, in my misery, in my lacking, in my struggle, because I'm going to declare it in faith that I know that joy is coming. So it might not be here right now, but I'm going to declare it. And then once they've done leading us, feel free to dismiss us once you're done leading us. But let's declare this with our, all our heart, mind, soul, and strength that we believe there is joy coming. There is joy coming. Amen. For us as individuals, for us as a church, there are great things coming if we will act on it. And next week, next week we're going to find out how our faith is linked to our relationships with other people. That what happens in our relationship with others is an impact to our faith also. So are you ready to declare it with me this morning? They're going to lead us and they'll dismiss us as we're done. But let's declare there is joy in this house today. Amen.
worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. Because he opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, he holds the victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. Come on. We're going to shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We shout out your praise. We sing. We sing to the God who heals. Yes, we sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Hallelujah. Because he hung up on that cross and he rose up from that grave. My God still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout. ourselves as living sacrifices, Lord. May the works that we do, Lord, be done in faith, believing that you are who you say you are, and Lord, you will take those things and use them for your glory and your honor. In your name we pray, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen.